Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with my guy in studio, Mike Renner, Cincinnati, ready to talk to quarterback carousel in the NFL right now. Yes, we've already seen Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff traded, but Jimmy G on the market, Kirk Cousins on the market, Derek Carr now involved in some rumors, and then also Deshaun Watson. What do the Colts do? What are the Raiders trying to do? Interesting conversation in the NFL right now. And we're also going to look at some of our favorites in this year's draft class, some of our draft favorites, and then some of our favorites sleepers in this draft class let's get it in studio with my guy Mike Renner two for one drafts ready to rip it up I'm glad we're diving into some of these quarterback rumors but before we do so we need to bring up two things one check yes, me bro that's check what me. We need if you're watching up. on YouTube I, I said on the Monday episode this is the first day of my life because I'm freaking gonna attack my style here when got some new clothes new shoes ready to rock and roll that crew neck is sick the trefoil love that logo you like that the, the you like that the shoes are crispy white too yeah. you like that crispy white Keep you're welcome I'm coming, okay? Your boy's coming at you live via satellite. Coming to you now, I know you said on the Monday episode, you're going to start with the arrest story. I'm excited for this one. I need to hear this one. Yeah. It's not like I I probably shouldn't be telling this story. Obviously, I think Neil, the obviously founder of PFF, might listen to the podcast. And well, it's just this the road we went down with, and, and the the listeners are clamoring for more. It's a so success figured, story. It's a comeback story. Yeah, and, and technically, all charges got dropped. So I'm you can't even find it if you went went looking for it. So I didn't do anything wrong uh, in retrospect. But no, I it was okay. So it was I'm not going to say exactly what year. I don't want to give too many uh, details here. But it wasn't this past fall. It was a Sunday, and I get done with like all my work early which is rare on a Sunday, and I didn't have anything else to do until Monday morning. And so anyone that knows me knows the only thing I like to do in life, not the only thing, but the thing I love more than anything else is tailgating. My buddy is throwing a tailgate down at the uh, Longworth lot on a Sunday. I'm a little late. It's like 1130. I got done with all my stuff. I'm like, I'm going down there. And me being a little late was probably the first mistake. Everyone had been there since like 9 a.m. Everyone's a little drunk. And so in my head, I'm like, I got to catch up. Yeah, I threw like three shots of fireball within the first half hour. At some point, a four loco came out. Oh, come on. And by game time, 1 p.m. rolls around, and I'm pretty in the bank. And I am <laughs> roll over to the banks. If you're unfamiliar with Cincinnati, what the banks is, it's the area between the football stadium, the baseball stadium. I actually live there now. Um, and it's got like a strip of bars. It's like there's a tin roof there. If, if you think of where the, t- the tin roof is in your town. That's probably like the same thing as the Banks of Cincinnati. It's like the entertainment district. And so want to go to Holy Grail. Holy Grail is so packed because the Bengals are on at 1, 1 p.m. game. Uh, so we end up going to Stretch, which is a bar across the street. Go to Stretch for like the first uh, round of games. And once the Bengals game's over, head over to Holy Grail because uh, it starts clearing out. But it's still pretty packed in this bar. And by that point, uh, so to say how drunk I was, I'm at Holy Grail with three people I just met that day. Like all my friends are still at stretch and I'm with three people who one of them is now one of my best friends, uh, Chris McMahon, um, is with me there at, at Holy Grail at this point. Two other girls and the whole day I'm like, I got to get home by Sunday night football 
and go to bed because mm-hmm. I got to actually work early tomorrow. So I got to get home Sunday before I go to bed. It's like late in the second round of games at this point, and I'm at the bar. It's a little hazy at this point. I'm at the bar with Chris. We're talking about I played basketball growing up, and uh, that I still like play basketball sometimes, and that I can jump pretty high. And, I'm, and he's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I do, I do like box jumps and stuff." And he's like, "Oh, how, how do you do box jump?" I'm like, "I don't know. Like, I could probably do flat footed, maybe like 54 inches." And he's like, "Oh shit." really and i'm like yeah like i could probably just jump on this bar right now and he's like no you couldn't and then without hesitation no (laughs) i just jump onto the bar and there's like the napkin holder on this bar that's like right in front of me and i kick the napkin holder into like three beers that the bartender had set out and just like this chain reaction of stuff falling and i immediately like pop off the bar get down i'm like what the fuck did i just do uh bartender doesn't see it i hear her scream who the fuck just did that? And I'm like walking away, head down, like trying to be inconspicuous, probably look like the least conspicuous guy. Thought I had gotten away with it. She doesn't realize who did it, but also just realized that I was standing in a crowded bar, like 10 feet above everyone yes. else. And the and I'm walking and I just get grabbed by the back of my neck by the bouncer. Um, bouncer, by the way, at Holy Grail is enormous. Guy's like 6'8". And, and he's just carrying me he out left of the bar. For the I don't even like, I don't even fight it. I'm like, yeah, I know. Throws me out onto the uh, cement. And I'm like, I had scratched, I had like cuts on my face after this. And I'm just laying there on the cement. I'm like, okay, kind of deserve that. I'm a dumbass, whatever. Next thing I know, cuffs are coming on me, on my back. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, what's going on here? And I'm like, wow. the two officers right outside, I guess Bengals games, they don't mess around. And there's a police station down there right at the banks, which I found out also when uh, my girlfriend punched me in the face. But my ex-girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not resisting. <clears throat> I'm more trying to dissuade them from arresting me. I'm like, is this really, officers, like, is this really what you, is this really worth getting arrested over? I'll just go home. I think I said about a thousand times that night, I'll just go home. Um, didn't work. I end up going uh to jail there thankfully didn't didn't have me stay for the night i get home and then uh that next morning the waking up the realization of it's like 7 a.m i didn't make it home by sunday night football uh, needless to say but it's like 7 a.m wake up on my bed and just like that moment of like oh god where am i and then oh god i just got arrested last night and i have to go into work here that was not great but then arresting officer didn't show up to court, and so I didn't all charge were dropped. Cash. That's money. Man. I know. The, that feeling when the arresting officer I think the story it. started to take a downhill slope as soon as you said four loco. Once you get a four loco involved yes. on a Sunday. That's what I was going to say. Is Was it the original four loco, or is this No, is this, this was new more age recent formula? than that. It was, new age? Yeah, it was the new age. Which I've never I, been arrested. Thank the Lord. Yeah, but, uh, I mean. That, was that the first time and last time you've been the arrested? The first and last time. I... I uh, I've changed my ways Good. since then. It was Good an eye-opening you, experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited about that. that that's freaking sweet. Um, all right. Well, then let's go ahead and jump into these quarterback rumors here. I'm glad you're getting into the story game. People yeah. want to know who you are. You know, you're I was going to say, I, a lot Everyone of my... sees you as this pretty boy who was on the Batserat, who's probably, you know, given from a silver spoon, but you, you've been through some trials and yeah. some tribulations. And it's like a lot of my it. dating stories. I, I really can't tell. Like, you, you just really... can't. You just can't. Some of them are really good, though. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk some quarterbacks here. Let's talk about the Deshaun Watson trade rumors. I want to first bring up there was a report last night, I think, from Vincent Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review Journal, um, talking about that, that the Las Vegas Raiders are actively trying to trade Derek Carr to acquire picks 
depending on what they can get for Derek Carr, mm. to use in a trade to go land Deshaun Watson. So it wouldn't necessarily be a three-way trade, mm. but it's like, let's trade Derek Carr, get what we can, and then use those picks in addition to the picks we have now, and maybe a player, maybe Darren Waller, to go get Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans. Let's f- first start with this. What is the trade value for Derek Carr? Where do you see a team going? They like the Indianapolis Colts, the Chicago Bears, the Washington football team, three teams right now that probably can't muster enough to go get Watson, but maybe need to make an upgrade at the quarterback position and say, let's say, at Derek Carr. What are you trading for Derek Carr right now? Man. A first and maybe a third. That's maybe like a conditional third. I was going to say a first and a second if you're desperate. I think some of the desperate teams and and it's could not and it's and, a, and if I'm like top ten, it's not no. Like I'm not doing that. Then it's like a first if I'm the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my first that I'm giving because that, you're in that situation. You're the Washington Football Team at 19. You're the Colts at 23. God, I should know this better. But it's my job. 21, I think. 21. Okay, you're one of those two teams. Yeah, go ahead by all means. Make that like that 19th pick. You're not finding a quarterback. Uh, 23rd pick, and like you're in a window. So. And his deal is not egregious at this point. Like his, I think he's like twenty-two million dollar cap hit this year, nineteen something next year. That's a bargain. That's fine. Yeah, like right now. So I think the Indianapolis Colts too are desperate enough to where you could see them do a first and a yeah. an additional pick. Maybe it's conditional. Maybe it's a third. Maybe it's a second. Because yeah. right now, on on Bavada, the 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 leading odds for who starts at quarterback for the Colts in twenty twenty one is Andy Dalton. Like not even a player on their team. Like they're in a position right now where they're going to have to make a move for one of these guys. It has to be Watson. It has to be Cousins, Jimmy G, Carr. And I think with that being said, with the Raiders actively trying to pursue a trade, I think this is going to happen. Like if I had if I had a crystal ball right now, I would say Derek Carr gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a first and an additional pick. So the Las Vegas Raiders can make a huge push, maybe three first rounders for Deshaun Watson. And what is your opinion now if the Raiders do that? Are the Raiders in a position to win with Watson? Well, with what they've done with their first rounders, I don't want to be that guy, but I would go. <laughs> That's the most common counter argument. It's like, yeah. okay, you trade tr- three first rounders. That's trading away the future yeah. Cleveland Furl pick, the future Jonathan Abrams pick, the future Damon Arnett, the future yeah. Henry. I mean, all these picks that have not like panned out of late. Mm-hmm. But now, that I, do, I don't think is the right reason. No. I, I want to look at the roster now. Is the Raiders' offensive if roster. If you can get a first rounder for Derek Carr, use that first rounder and then. With three more, your you know the three first rounders that you can only trade because you can only trade three years out to get Deshaun Watson, you do that in a heartbeat, in my estimation. If you're the Las Vegas Raiders, you figure out the rest later. And, and but you really do think that they can win with Deshaun Watson and, and with the roster? Oh no, their right defense now? still stinks. Yeah, because like, I think the defense is arguably worse than what Houston had. <laughs> they, the defense, the yeah, defense yeah, yeah. In, in Houston has at least some playmaker. Like JJ Watt is a playmaker. They have two high paid linebackers in in Bernard McKinney and Zach Cunningham. Right now, the Las Vegas Raiders, there's not a single player on that team you'd feel confident being like a legitimate hope, starting yeah, piece. You're hoping for development. You have yeah. at least young core there defensively. Is it good? Not now. Watson had better receivers in Houston. He'd be going to a Raiders team where Nelson Aguilar, their best receiver, is a free agent. Henry Ruggs still needs to develop significantly. Hunter Renfro might be their best guy. Like, that's not a position you want to be in. And obviously you have Darren Waller, and he's one of the top three tight ends in the NFL. An offensive line that I'd say is improved compared to Houston. And I think an offense where John Gruden has had a ton of success. And you've seen some of those 
press conferences, and maybe we could play this for us, Quinn, but uh, some of those press conferences where Deshaun Watson talks about the relationship he has with John Gruden and how much he loves John Gruden. I think some of that's fluff. I know Deshaun Watson's a big fan uh, of John Gruden. Gruden, again, is a big fan of Watson. I guess that's the thing that blows my mind about this is that that was Derek Carr's best year. That's like, I can't believe that Gruden had him for two years prior to that and stuck with him, and now is when he wants to move on from him. It's like Gruden, the noted guy who's always loved his backup quarterback more than his starting quarterback, would be willing to put up with Derek Carr for that long for him to Say, like, be fairly good this past year. They were not, it was not the reason they missed the playoffs. The defense was. And now they want to make the move. I'm just surprised. Not saying that I wouldn't do the same, but just surprised this is when. Similar with the Vikings situation, them supposedly shopping Kirk Cousins. Like, now is when you want to do it. Like, last season, before last season, was when you probably should have been doing it. But they tried. The thing is that John Gruden hasn't stuck to Derek Carr and. For, by not trying, I, he, they tried to go get Tom Brady last year. Mm. Like they've tried to make moves at the quarterback position, but have failed because one in 2017 and 20 or no, 2018 and 2019, Derek Carr legit sucked. Like he was not good. His value was day two, day three pick, and now That's coming right. off his best year, John Gruden's finally in this position where like, hey, he has some value. I could get a first for him, maybe a first and an additional pick. And now I got Watson on the market. Let's go make a move, guys. He's probably convincing the front office. Like, let's go get this guy. Let's go get a legitimate yeah. top five, top three quarterback in this league and worry about everything else after. And maybe it is the right move for them. I just am not convinced that Deshaun Watson is in objectively a significantly better situation in Las Vegas. Like, I think that defense is worse. I think the receiving core still needs work. I mean, they, he yeah. at least had Brandon Cooks and mm-hmm. Will Fuller for most of the year in Houston. I mean, would you rather live in Vegas or Houston, though? So that's Vegas, that's but that's for different reasons. Watson's not doing the same things I do in Vegas. I'll tell you that right now. All right, let's talk about some. Other I was going to say you, you might not want to go back to Vegas. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins. There's rumors right now mm-hmm. that the San Francisco 49ers are involved in every quarterback rumor. They they were involved in the Stafford stuff. They were in, they're involved in Deshaun Watson. They're involved in trade up scenarios to go get a quarterback in this year's class. And now the latest is that maybe they're making a push for Kirk Cousins. To me, this seems like if you're going from Jimmy G to Kirk Cousins, that is not a big enough upgrade to make that decision. What, what's your opinion on this the, this connection? Between I think Jimmy? it is. I really? think Kirk Cousins is a distinctly better quarterback than Derek Carr, than Jimmy Garoppolo. I just think he is. He's been fairly good in, and I think it's because he's been good in like situations that are less than ideal. He had a bad offensive line. His entire Minnesota career and has put up numbers. Yes, he had good receivers, but like an objectively poor offensive line there. I just I, I think he gets a bad rap for like certain things about being a gamer, playing winning football, checking down on third downs, that sort of thing. But that's like nothing that is not the same knock on Derek Carr either or Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously. So um I think he's a big enough upgrade. And obviously, the, the Jimmy G stuff, they're going to cut him if no one wants to trade for him. They're not going to take a $26 million cap hit for Jimmy G. They're going to go elsewhere at the quarterback position this offseason. So I would not it's be surprised. It's wild to me. Cousins. But the Vikings, from the Vikings side of things, though, they had to have, I, they had to have seen this coming better. Like they, I, th- I feel like last year was the year to do this if you're going to do this because they, they extended him before last season so his two-year extension was is just now kicking in they had to realize that they were in a, such a cap sort of hell that they like last year his value would have been higher if you would have moved him last year i thought 
It's wild to me, and I think this is what makes the conversation about the quarterbacks in the NFL interesting, how many teams left have to make a move at quarterback position but are not in a prime position to do so. I would argue the San Francisco 49ers like, have to make a move at the quarterback position. I think the Colts, obviously, the Washington football team, the Chicago Bears, that's like four teams where like, you need to make upgrades at this position if you want to be legit competitive in 2021. I don't put the Raiders in that. I don't think the, the quarterback is the biggest problem there. I don't put Minnesota in that. I don't think Kirk is the biggest problem there. Yeah. But those four other teams I mentioned, it's like you need to do something. Because if you go into next year, say Washington goes in with Alex Smith, Chicago goes in with Bisky or Foles, the Colts go in with Brissett or something, like you do that, you're just admitting like, hey, we're not going to be good next year. Yeah. And the yeah. San Francisco 49ers, I'd put in the same boat. Like, Jimmy G is not taking you deep in the postseason. I'm sorry. I don't care about well, the injuries. I mean, technically he did. Right? He did. But I don't think he's go- – I don't think he- – I think that's past him. And even if it is, it's not – I don't think it's a sustainable way yeah. to win football games at- with the San Francisco 49ers. So they're, they're just not – they're not going to be as good defensively. Yeah. They're, they're- Never as good defensively yeah. as they were that year. Yeah. So wild stuff. Exciting stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick short break. Quick short. That doesn't even make sense. Let's take a short break and then jump into some of these draft sleepers and favorites. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Thrive has a free $1,000 contest and over $30,000 in guaranteed prizes for the big game. Use promo code PFF when you sign up today and you will receive an instant match up to $50 on your first deposit. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website at www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Starting with the favorites here, and you wrote this article for PFF.com. I believe it comes out Monday. So this is a little bit of a teaser. Early favorites comes came out, out Monday. It came out already? Yeah. I thought we pushed it Monday. Never mind. I'm the content guy. I thought I had the schedule locked. Anyway, early favorites here. Let's start at the quarterback position. So I'll just give you like kind of the idea. Your of thoughts this. here. Are these is, your guys? Like the, the my uh, guys? Favorites thing? is basically guys that tick the box that the NFL traditionally likes to see in terms of athletic physical traits that translate to the NFL. And it also ticks the box that PFF likes to see in terms of grading, grading where you'd like guys to grade out well uh, in the system. So they might not be, they're not, I'm not putting like Micah Parsons on this list because everyone fucking knows Micah Parsons. Like it's good. These are the guys that are maybe not are seen as the number ones at the respective position, but we feel very confident about them translating to the NFL because of the combination of athletic tools and the PFF grading. Love it. Love that little precursor 
I'll start with quarterback Zach Wilson of BYU, a guy that has all the athletic ability, all the tools that you want at the quarterback position. There are some concerns with his size, but he's still very young. He can still add some weight to his frame. But from a tools perspective, this guy can make every throw in the books. He led all of college football, I think, in accurate throws outside the numbers, opposite hash, which I, it was in an article from Seth Galina that I thought was fantastic. And his graded super well. He was one of the highest graded quarterbacks in college football this year, if not the highest graded when you only look at um, FBS schools. So Zach Wilson, an absolute stud in PFF system. And I think a lot of team, a lot of people, including D- Dale Jeremiah, has raved about Zach Wilson. See this guy with legitimate arm talent that can be a QB1 in the NFL. Yes, and the biggest thing here with him is the tight window throws. The the dude slung it into, I think BYU might be hitting you know, easy go balls all the time. It was not the case whatsoever. He had a 94.2 passing grade on tight window throws. It was higher, highest we've ever seen from a quarterback. Seven years of doing this. So on the difficult throws he's going to have to make at the NFL level, he was better than any guy we've seen in his one year. Now, only one year. That's a little concerning, obviously, but injuries were a massive factor into his sophomore year. It was very good relative to other freshmen not named Trevor Lawrence his freshman year. So Zach Wilson with the tools and the grading profile, that's why he's QB2 for us. Still only 21 years old, turns 22 in August of this year. And I think there's... There's ways for him. I think his arm gets better in the NFL. I think he can get a lot better as well. I think there's some development to his game that you see in year one, year two, that he starts to get better. And that, I think, is scary. And a big reason why the Jets should be in consideration at two. I think Miami should still be in consideration, even with Tua Tungabailoa, and also the Atlanta Falcons. Like I could see him going to any of those three teams after Trevor Lawrence is taken by the Jacksonville Jaguars at one. Running back. I love this guy. I, I, I like him more than Michael Carter. And I think Michael Carter does get a lot of love coming out of UNC. And I have, I have a question for you about Carter. But let's start with Javante Williams, guy who like practically broke the forced missed tackle per attempt metric and PFF system yes. and is an absolute monster. Like this guy is going to go to the NFL and break tackles and gain yards after contact. And yeah. that is what translates in addition to having plus tools, plus athletic ability. Yeah, to me, he's a better prospect as a pure runner than... Why can't I think of his name? The first rounder went to the Raiders a couple years ago. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. Yes. To me, he's a better prospect as a runner. He is, I think, more explosive, a little bit faster than him. Has probably not, isn't as big, but I think he's going to be around 220. And the dude's balance is out of this world. Like I said, 75 broken tackles on 157 carries this year, a rate we've never seen. That's why he had the highest grade, PFF grade for a single season we've given to a running back in terms of his rushing grade. So 943 rushing grade this overall grade this past season so let's talk about michael carter for a little bit and i'm working to get him on the podcast as well smaller back i think he got to the combine was this what five foot seven a little over 200 pounds five foot eight around there yeah it's senior bowl sorry um and i think the comparison that instantly jumped into my head and i I hate making so i hate making hall of fame comps Mm -hmm. and i hate making previous draft class comps but the comparison that immediately jumped to my head watching his film and seeing where he weighed in is clyde edwards lair and i think you cannot say, you cannot say Clyde Edwards Hilaire is like a standard okay, deviation wait. better yeah. than Michael Carter. And Michael Carter's three gonna go better. Yeah. Like like he's not he's gonna go two or three rounds later. Like I don't think Michael Carter is all that different than what Clyde Edwards Hilaire brings to the table. And I think that that in and of itself is like, even faster. Yeah. Like Clyde Edwards Hilaire ran a four six. Yeah. Like he ran a four six at five foot eight, you know, two hundred plus pounds. I think Michael Carter could be faster. He had better broken tackle numbers than um, Hilaire did, obviously playing in the SEC. But like, 
I, I don't know, man. This is, again, it just continues to pour into the narrative that, like, if you want to find legitimate, productive running backs that fit your fit your offense, that have certain style, like, you can get a Michael Carter on, day, you know, round three, round four, or you don't have to invest his first-round pick in Clyde Edwards-Alay like they did. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Michael Carter. 202 pounds might sound scary, but when you're 5'7", 202 pounds, that's a load. That guy is bringing some heat. That's dense. Like, the height, the density of a guy is more important at the running back position and pretty much like most positions than pure weight because if you're six foot 202 pounds you're skinny like you're you're gonna get chopped down you're not that muscular five seven two oh two that guy probably looks ridiculous that's your that's your guy who looks too big at the weight room that you go at the local gym that you go to that you're just like dude calm down you're like you shouldn't be that jack when you're that short but Mike Carter is, and that's why he's a good running back. All right, jumping off of running back, the UNC backs are, are very intriguing. Javante Williams and Michael Carter. But wide receiver, Elijah Moore, which early in the process, uh, I, you know, watching his film, you see a lot of his production schemes working in the slot at Ole Miss with, with a, a competent quarterback in Corral. You go back and watch, and I watched his tape recently, you just get excited about how easy it is for him to get open over yeah. the middle of the football field and then gain yards after the catch. He also had a, a couple of uh, a slot fades, slot verticals that I thought were really impressive from him. And I think I want that for my slot receiver. He can't just be a Hunter Renfro. Mm-hmm. He can't just be a guy that moves the sticks and runs a ton of routes in that 8 to 16-yard range. I need a guy that can also, in a pinch, take the slot vertical deep, and he can do that. Mm-hmm. From a slot receiver standpoint, he's one of the best in this class. Yeah, we also talked about, to add to that, in terms of things we like to see from wide receivers that translate well to the NFL. Bring tackles after catch. Elusiveness speaks to kind of what you're capable of as a route runner. We've, I wrote an article about the early round success rate of guys from college who had good broken tackle numbers and the guys who didn't have good broken tackle numbers and just the hit rate of the guys who broke tackles after the catch is so much higher in the early rounds. Those are the guys you want. And also just... You know, we love to talk about age-adjusted production because it kind of matters. Like when, if you're producing at a younger age, that's better. And he's 20 years old last year, putting up, you know, this 1,193 yards, the second highest graded receiver behind Devontae Smith in the country last year. So a lot of good tick marks there. And then the other thing, even though he's you know, smaller side, 5'9", 185, 9 of 11 contest catches last year. Dude's strong. So a lot of, lots of like. Going to tight end here, Tommy Tremble, Notre Dame tight end. I, I'd take Elijah Moore at the back end of the first. You take Elijah That's Moore at the back end of the first? Of the first. Wow. What receivers are you taking him over? Give me some examples of receivers. Outside receivers you're taking him over. Outside receivers. Okay. Yeah. Um, because that, that's where my mind jumps. My mind jumps to if I'm taking a slot receiver, I don't necessarily I'm not super excited Terrence to take Marshall. him in the first. I'm trying so I'll tell you the guys that I would that would I would definitely take over him, and then it would be a then that's like it. Then the guys it would be a conversation with or everyone else. So the guys I would definitely take over him are, um, gosh, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and then Rashad Bateman would be a debate. Then that's it of guys I'm definitely taking over him, depending on what I. I need. think that is where the debate starts, though, with Rashad Bateman. Yes, and then like Kadarius Tony, I think I'd almost rather have Elijah Moore than Kadarius Tony. If um if I really need like a number two wide receiver, if I'm the Chiefs and I need like some complimentary piece, I'd rather have Kadarius Tony. But if I really need like a second wide receiver in my offense, I'm going Elijah Moore over Kadarius Tony in that debate. Let's jump to Tommy Tremble now, the Notre Dame tight end that I feel 
really is is a plus blocker and a very good receiver coming out of Notre Dame, but is not getting talked about at all. He's arguably a sleeper in this tight end class. What's your opinion? What 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 what, what draws you to Tommy Tremble? Yeah, I actually let, listen to as a sleepers in my sleeper article too. So <laughs> a favorite we'll and about. a sleeper. I, I this is my Notre Dame guy this year. I have one every single year. This is him this year. Exceptional blocker, highest run blocking grade in college football this past year at the tight end position. That's you know one, and he's fast. Like this guy. He's not going to get talked about because he got outproduced by a freshman. That was the guy we love to talk about, Michael Mayer, the five star from here in town. Mm-hmm. Tremble's probably going to run around a four six, and if you're fast and can block, that's a path to success. Like oh, the majority of tight end routes, you go back and watch like Robert Tanyan this year for the Green Bay Packers. He had maybe like one route all season long where like he beat a guy with a an actual move. Everything else is him sprinting to the flat, sprinting across the field on the crosser, going up the field on a seam or a wheel. That's your, that's the route tree in a lot of offenses for the tight end position. You know what wins on that route tree? Speed. The faster you can run that route, the better you can run that route. Nothing else really necessarily matters. So not a lot of guys in this tight end class are going to run fast. There's maybe three guys that are going to run fast that are near the top of this tight end class. Tommy Tremble's one of them. You need speed at the tight end position if you want to like legit have a guy that can be a difference maker. You know, you can't you can't have four eight four nine tight ends anymore if you want him to be a legitimate yeah. threat in the past. Jason Wins don't exist. That's the, they're not doing. Jason Wins coaching high school, although now. he does exist. He was signed for way too much by the Raiders. Yeah, unfortunate stuff. I mean, went to the booth, grew hair. I don't know how he did it. I'm still trying to figure it out. They should have just like said like, "Hey, we did it to Coach Darren Waller. He was their tight end coach this year." That's what they should have called them. They shouldn't have. Dude, they were like targeting him on like key third and fourth downs. Okay. okay they, yeah, they didn't they just do it him, for yeah. the coach. They were like, okay, Jason Witten's our guy. He can get open. Um, and now he's a head coach at uh, some high school. If you uh, had to guess right now, Jason Witten's vertical jump, what would you say? It's over 30 inches. No. You don't think so? There's no chance it's over 30 inches. Yikes. Isn't that probably it wasn't even over 30 inches in his prime? What Man. do you think he jumped at the combine? I had to have been over 30 inches. This guy was a sub-30 vert. That's embarrassing. Better question, do you think you could jump higher than yeah, Jason Yeah, he doesn't right even... He, does, I, he shuffles. I can dunk. He, shu- like he barely gets off the ground when he jumped in the first place. His vertical at the combine was 31 inches. Okay, so then it's definitely not 30 inches. He's probably like 20s, in the early, like young 20s. Yeah, which still not as bad as, gosh, there's a Florida State offensive lineman coming out. This was 2015 or 2016. God, I should remember his name because it's six in my mind. 16-inch vertical. Oh, my God. I don't know how who let that guy in a football field with a 16-inch vertical. That's that's if you have big enough feet. That's like Sha- Shaquille O'Neal standing on his tiptoes as a 16-inch vertical. That's insane. So Not high enough to get on top of a bar and knock no, over No, true. That guy he probably has like never he, gotten arrested, though. He, yeah, he would have just fallen flat on his face and never gotten... Cops wouldn't even know it existed. Unfortunate. All right, get to offensive tackle here. Let's see what his bird is. Christian Derisaw, the uh, big offensive tackle for Virginia Tech, who had a really good game against Miami's Quincy Roche. I think he's different when you compare him to a Penesul or a Sam Cosme, guys that are fleet of foot, very you know, move very well on their lower half. But Derisaw is just a monster. He's an anchor that like bullies kids without trying. Uh, former three-star recruit that took a prep year before going to Virginia Tech. Derisaw, man. He has, I think he also has positional versatility, like maybe some of the other tackles don't, but I think you want to stick him at tackle at least first of all and, and see how he can hang. And, and as long as he can handle speed, that's where the concerns with Derrissaw kind of happen for me. Is can he handle explosiveness? Can he handle speed? 
If he can do that, he's going to be a starting tackle in the NFL for a long time. Yeah, because I mean, he faced some good edge rushers, but I don't think anyone was really like four. Had five, the Rockets four, had the juice. Guy. Like yeah, Roche like, doesn't have the juice. Roche doesn't have the juice. Demuka Jay and Rumpf. That's kind of their thing too. Is they don't really have the explosives. They really go with their hands, and he kind of just nullified those guys. So yeah, second highest graded season from a power five tackle only trails Penny Sewell in that regard. So when you got that and you're as powerful as he is, like feel pretty good about you. He was also what the highest graded run blocker in the country this year at tackle. Like he was, yes. he was very graded really well as a run blocker as well. Uh, Landon Dickerson, who will be a favorite by everyone. It'll be a favorite for the offensive line scout community. It'll be a favorite by the NFL. It'll be a favorite by PFF. Graded really well. Transferred from Florida State to Alabama and continued to have success. Obviously took an injury this year and wasn't able to play in the Senior Bowl or in the championship run for the Crimson Tide this year, but still a big-ass dude playing center. Could probably play guard, too, if he wanted in the NFL. I, I think you look at day two prospects on the interior offensive line. Landon Dickerson's name is going to be heard early. Yeah, the most had the most valuable season by a center in terms of PFF war as graded well. Now a couple of years and like this year was at just another level and physically that, that that's a grown man. Now he's he's on the older side, but like that'll translate still with how strong he is and he's playing in the SEC. He's playing good competition, still manhandling dudes. So yeah, like I think I said this before, everyone's this is everyone's favorite guy this year. Absolutely, every single person is. Going to lovely and Dickerson when he gets picked, everyone's gonna be like, "That's a steal of the draft." So because of the ACL injury, and if he recovers, he'll be he probably will be. I, I found the guy though that we we're talking about, Josua oh. Matias. You want to hear his athletic testing numbers? Yes. And he actually graded out well. Had an eighty-eight point oh pass blocking grade his last year, so he was in the twenty fifteen draft. He had a one nine six ten split, seventeen and a half inch vertical, a five one two short shuttle, and an eight one nine three cone. The most absurd thing I heard in that was the one nine six ten yard split. It takes him two seconds to go ten yards. I'm not sure I've seen a worse ten yard split. I don't think I've ever seen two seconds. So I don't think I have either. That's got to be up there with the worst. Of that's absurd. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> man, poor guy. Uh, let's jump to defensive tackle now. Off of Landon Dickerson, this is one of my favorites in the class. One of the hashtag my guys, Ali McNeil. NC State defensive tackle. I think former three or four star recruit that had offers from. Big programs. He had offers from Bama. He had offers from. Some I would legit- hope this guy was a four-star recruit. Having watched that tape, yeah, in his high school. I yeah. think he was at least four. He played recruit. running back in high school. I, I love Ali McNeil, and he- the reason he went to North Carolina is from North Carolina. Yeah, he's like, I'm staying close to home. Family's really important. Ali McNeil wore number 29, playing bulk majority of his snaps either head up or sh- shaded on the center. Can win quickly. You know, I, I, when I look at defensive tackle prospects, guys that you're going to take highly. Guys later, you're looking for two gappers that can stuff the runs and big monsters. But early, if I'm taking a defensive tackle early, he has to win as a pass rusher early in the snap. And if you don't do that without juice, and if there's one thing Ali McNeil's got, former running back in high school, and he played linebacker. He didn't even play defensive line in high school. He played linebacker, off ball. Ali McNeil's got the juice, can win as a pass rusher early. Yeah, and led the country this past season, or led Power 5, excuse me, in run defense grade, 92.1, and holds up to double teams really well. Like that's He's got kinda, a big lower half, dude. Yeah. The guy's built like a, I don't even know what it is. It's He's mm. just a monster find down one, low. Find one, find a, he's built like uh, one of those dinosaurs, like a triceratops. Or no, not, what's the one that's just like real thick on the bottom? Okay, <laughs> I don't know either, but apparently... But he's built like we'll find what we'll he's find built a like nice a random comp, dinosaur. Nice body count for him, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Lee McNeil, man. He, to me, he's 
he's a better prospect than like that group of athletic DTs we saw come out last year. And uh, I'm really bad with names today. This is getting bad. Uh, who's the Oklahoma guy who went to the Cowboys? Oh, uh, Neville Gallimore. Neville Gallimore. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, he's got yeah. a better frame and better production. Yeah, like I, I think he's better than like all those guys who were kind of like day two defensive tackles. I think Lee McNeil's a better prospect than them this year. He's awesome. All right, Rashad Weaver, Pittsburgh edge defender, uh, better than Patrick Jones. We'll say that, but also uh, wins with his hands. I think that's the first thing that pops off the tape for Rashad Weaver. And if I have a type along the edge, the guys that get drafted highly are the ones who are freak athletes. It's like Greg Rousseau, Quiddy Pay, who is also productive in his own right. But Jason Oway gets talked about in the first round. Those guys with freak tools, they're going to go high. But guys that maybe don't have the freakiest of tools, but just consistently win with moves in their hands, Rashad Weaver is one of my guys. I, I, I like Weaver a lot, too. Yeah. And 90.0 pass rushing grade this past year. And it's nice because we got to see him and like Patrick Jones kind of interchangeable roles. Patrick Jones thought of as top prospect. Also, he only has 68.9 pass rushing grade. Like Weaver was you know, dominating in a role that another guy who's a legit prospect was not, which I think almost like helps Weaver's case in our eyes. And then he has that, the body type, like that wins off the edge. He's not particularly explosive, but 82 and 78 inch wingspan, damn near seven foot wingspan for a guy who's six foot four. He can get on you quickly with length like that. And it's really powerful. So yeah, he's a little on the older side. That's always concerning when you look like the older guy, like when you look like the grown man, when you are the grown man. But I still think he's a safe, safe bet in the second, like day two somewhere to just like be a productive edge. Linebacker, everyone's favorite. I feel like a lot of people will like this guy coming out. It's Nick Bolton of Missouri, a guy who hits like a fucking Brink truck. I don't even know what that expression means, but he hits hard and he hits mean. I mean if he hit more... by a Brink's truck, you'd probably. It probably sucks. True, but I guess I don't know why it has to be a Brinks truck. You know, well they're like the armored. They are the it's armored. Like bigger. I'll stick to it. Like he hits truck. like a Brinks truck. I would love to get hit by a Brinks truck because you probably get a pretty good payday out of that. That's true. Decent. You know, on the spot too. Probably right out of the truck. Um, Nick Bolton. I will say this: if you watch Nick Bolton's tape and you watch all of his pass rushes, like when he's rushing the passer, he has more fringe late hit hit late hits on the quarterback than any player I think in the class. Like he murders quarterbacks like gets on him i don't think he got called for a ton of penalties college is a little lenient with him but like he's i i would put I hope he doesn't actually i would put a 500 dollars bet that if he rushes the passer more than 50 times as a rookie he'll get at least one late hit on the quarterback flag i i, I would i would put a 500 dollars bet on that we'll see if he gets Let's that see many if got those odds for you but yeah i mean this is another guy everyone when he gets picked is gonna be like oh yeah i love that pick yeah because what a what a pick He's just highest-graded linebacker in the Power Five over the past two seasons. Micah Parsons hasn't beat, but he didn't play both seasons. So Nick Bolton, 91.2 grade over that span. Super productive. Led the SEC in stops both both years. Like, there's not, there's not much to dislike outside of the fact that not the fastest, not the longest, not the whatever. Not Those the biggest. boxes aren't going to get ticked. But not, you don't have to be – not everyone's going to tick those boxes. That's a very good linebacker in the NFL. All right, cornerback, uh, Asante Samuel Jr., who I, I watched his 2020 tape recently after watching his 2019 tape. And, like, again, on 20, in 2019, I think he was asked to play a lot more strictly man coverage. And he played a little bit more in the slot as well. And you saw how he could match and mirror in man coverage concepts. In 2020, they asked him to play a lot more zone, and that's where the instincts came out. You see him picking up routes, playing the deep third, like – I, I, it reminds me a little bit of Antoine Winfield and Jalen Johnson, guys that you could just tell understood of, the Asante game. Samuel. 
Yeah, Asante. It reminds me of Asante Samuel even, but he also tackles really well. He's a guy that shots fired at Asante Samuel Senior there. So Asante Samuel Jr. is a better tackler than Senior. Yeah. I'll say that. And I'm working to get Asante Samuel Jr. on the pod. Although here. I wonder, I never saw Asante Samuel Senior's college tape. Maybe he just kind of like gave up once he got paid. Maybe, which I wouldn't blame him for. Yeah, maybe. But Asante Samuel Jr. I, I think back end of the first, I am sprinting the card in. I don't. I, if he falls to day two, I think he's going to be one of the steals of the draft. Also, something I just remembered yesterday that. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but Asante Samuel dropped a pick in the Giants Super Bowl 2011 that I had completely forgotten about. That you're just bringing that up? You just got to open up wounds. That they like the the David Tyree thing would never have happened if Asante Samuel. Oh no, yeah, that happened like the play before. Completely forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, Asante Samuel. And he's obviously not going to take the size. That's rude, man. If he's listening to the pod right now, he's going to bring that up. But eighth highest coverage grade in college football this past season. In a defense where no one else played well. Everyone else was on a team out to where lunch. no one else played well. Yeah, exactly. Like Florida State this year didn't even show up, man. Sometimes they didn't. They were scared to play Clemson, apparently, also. But yes, Asante's got the movement skills, the production, at least at lowest, he is the best slot cornerback in this class. That's like at worst if he doesn't work out on the outside. So I and, and I still believe he he will be good on the outside still. All right, last guy on the favorites list here, and then we'll jump to sleepers. It's Ardarius Washington of TCU. Your guy. Your guy. Guy like you've compared him what to Tyron Matthew? A guy that can play multiple positions. Or you've also compared him to who? Malcolm Jenkins. Like guys who can just play. I'm not compared to Malcolm Jenkins. Who have you compared recently to Malcolm Jenkins? I remember I compared you, Richie, Richie Grant to Malcolm, Malcolm Jenkins. Jenkins. Sorry, but Ardarius Washington is not as big Tyron as Malcolm Matthew. Yeah, Tyron Matthew. But uh he's a guy too where 2019 was better than 2020 from mm-hmm. a tape perspective, but still you see a lot of instincts on his tape. Another guy that plays safety and plays the position well because he just knows the game really well, sees what's happening before it happens. He does not like make mistakes, but also then makes plays. Like Andre Cisco makes plays and then will make just as many mistakes, if not more, likely more. Ardarius Washington, not as many plays on his tape this year, only five pass breakups after he had two pass breakups and five picks back in 2019. But like also didn't make like still not giving up big plays in his coverage. He is just like that's going to translate when you're that efficient of a safety. When you see the game at that type of level, I don't care if five eight one seventy eight. Uh, he is. If I had to, we got to do a fun to watch rankings at some point. But if I had to rank the players whose tape I most enjoy watching, number one would be Trevor Lawrence in this class. Number two, Penny Sewell. Ardarius Washington checks in at number three for me. Wow, it's a good list. He is that like it's just that beautiful to watch him play the game. Because he's just so smooth and quick to process everything that's going on around him. I think Bolton's up there for me. I think Bolton is Bolton's very fun to, watch. fun to watch. Um, all right, let's look. Got, to- that's why I said we got to do a power rankings at some point. Yeah, fun to watch. I agree. We got to do the name rankings too. I, I think I, I gotta, I'll write these down. I like that. I like that. All right, uh, sleepers list now. It's gonna be make, make, shifting from our favorites list to our sleepers list. Biggest draft sleepers. You wrote this article for PFF.com as well. These are the eight biggest sleepers in the class. Or how did you categorize this? That are that are getting the deepest sleeps. No, okay. There's just sleepers. Eight guys that are sleepers. Okay. Is what I would eight call guys them. that are sleepers. I hate the sleeper policing. Also, okay. I'm here we start off with this. Have a have a take. Like my definition of the sleepers is guys people are not talking about that they should be talking about more. Like guys aren't that aren't getting. I said there. I haven't seen any of these guys in a first round mock or a second round mock. They might not be necessarily like 
you probably know about some of these guys, but not a lot of people are talking to them as legit prospects when they should be talked about as in a more favorable light about how good they are as prospects. That's my definition of sleepers. Some of these guys went to big schools. A lot of these guys, everyone knows their name, but they're not getting talked about enough as legit prospects. That's my definition of a sleeper here. We're not like closer, close enough to draft day where I can, where it's actually like, hey, this guy plays at Rhode Island. Check him out. Like the Matt Miller last year who didn't even want to say a guy's name because an, an NFL personnel guy told him not to tweet about him, even though he ran a 4-4 at the Combine like two weeks prior. Don't tweet about him, though, so we can keep him a secret. <laughs> that's, they're not that deep a sleeper. All right, well, let's start with quarterback position. Davis Mills, Stanford quarterback this past year, earned an 82.9 PFF grade, a 92.3 single game grade against Washington. Only suited up in, what, five games this year? The Pac-12 was kind of in a tough yeah. spot to get tape out. 6'4", 225. What do you like about Davis? He, he, mark my words, this guy's going to get some hype at some point during the draft process. Someone's going to be like Davis Mills. He, he, he's got that moxie, whatever. Mm. Former five-star recruit for very highly ranked recruit only made 10 career starts at Stanford. Obviously when uh, KJ Costello's arm fell off there, that's when he finally saw playing time, but he does something that NFL evaluators are going to absolutely love. And that's, he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. That guy operates at a high speed in that Stanford offense. That's not like particularly known for its quick passing game. Like he's hitting concepts in rhythm the way you need to at the NFL. So if you're Dave Gettleman watching his tape, you're getting excited have, watching this guy. Looks the part. Really no, like not an athlete, not going to make plays outside of structure, but he can operate an offense quickly. 2.39 average time to throw on non-screens, non-RPOs, non-play action passes. Wow. Quick. That's quick. That's fast. It's faster than Trevor Lawrence. And an 84.0 passing grade on those throws. So it's not like he's just like, get the ball in my hands, throw it to a guy who's, you know, blanketed. It was actually good on those. So I think that at the end of the day, Davis Mills is going to get a little, little pump up throughout the draft process. I think he might might sneak into the third. Like he declared early because he obviously thought like someone gave him a grade that time. His, uh, even, so even average time to throw overall right, is the sixth fastest in the country this past year at 2.28. Yeah. So that obviously includes some of those quicker passes yeah. that you spoke to. But um, interesting stuff on Davis Mills. Wide receiver, uh, the guy at the Senior Bowl that kind of lit things up in the one-on-ones. I think he had the highest win rate of any receiver in the one-on-ones. Kate Johnson of South Dakota State. And then you also have Jalen Darden in here, the uh, slot out of North Texas, who he ran... His route tree was very interesting. It was slot vertical or screen behind the line of scrimmage. Like he did not run a very complex route tree. And I was trying to think of, you know, receivers that have that kind of role in the NFL. Guys that have like, and I think Mooney made some sense. I know he's been comped to Mooney a handful of times from like a speed and like this is how he's going to win in the NFL. But it's a very interesting role for an offense. Like to bring in a Jalen Darden who is not going to work on the outside a ton. It's strictly going to run like fades when he gets pressed and then screens on other things. And he got schemed a lot of free releases as well. I'm interested to see how teams use Jalen Darden in the NFL. Cause everyone's, I think, okay, here's the thing. I know you said, I know you said you don't like when people police sleepers. I've heard, I've heard of Jalen Darden as a sleeper by a lot of people. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And that, I think that's fair. He's everyone's sleeper. He's everyone's sleeper. Yeah. But I'm also interested. So let's, let's expand on that. A we're bit. wide awake now. Yeah. We're wide awake. Let's expand on that a bit. And like, how are you using Jalen Darden in the NFL? Hmm. Good question. Uh, he is, I think he just run a full slot sort of route tree. Like that's who he is. I think he can even like, if you are in two wide receiver sets, 
and you're going heavy and like he he can do play action vertical stuff from a two wide receiver set i think that's where i would use him at the nfl level uh k johnson i think is almost a little more after watching him at the senior bowl i think that guy can win on the outside i don't think he has to be a slot he played slot south dakota state because you know a lot of college I think he starts now. in the slot in the NFL too yeah, though. I think he does, but he played through contact. That was the biggest thing about his performance at the Senior Bowl and just watching his tape. When guys are 5'10, 185 and I have a type. I like the smaller quicker guys. I like guys that can get open and oftentimes that's not the 6'4 monsters. But it's can you get open when guys have their hands on you? Is the thing that oftentimes doesn't translate once you get to the NFL. Can you get open when you're Hip to hip with a cornerback, can you get that little bit of separation right at the end? Because it's not doesn't look as easy once you get to the league. Guys are cornerbacks are athletic. They're all they're all that's why you draft guys that run four threes and four fours so that they can make up that little bit of separation. And Kate Johnson playing through contact was a lot more impressive than your average 185 pound wide receiver. It just like didn't rob him any speed. He's an explosive dude in his own right. I, I can't wait to see how he tests out because I think he has like a one of his numbers will be pretty sick. Maybe like a broad or a vertical jump, maybe like an eleven foot broad jump. Like that guy bounces off the line of scrimmage. This is what frustrates me about like talking about Elijah Moore in the first. Because like I could I, and I know I know the Kate types. Johnson and Jalen Darden aren't like better players, but if I can get a Johnson or a Darden on in Scarcity. three or four or yeah. five, I am sprinting those cards in before I get an Elijah Moore maybe at the back end of the first or top of the second. Because you talk about position scarcity for running backs, and there's even some conversation. There for is receivers. like there are like four guys who are very Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, these two, or it's just like Tutu Atwell. Even like I mean, he's even in the conversation. I don't, yeah, okay, I'm not yeah, as yeah. high on Tutu no, Atwell yeah, as others, but he's at least in the conversation. That's a there's a number of guys who have they would fill the same role. They'd all yes, fill the same role. Yes. In their all right, tight end Tommy Tremble. We talked about him in the favorites, the Notre Dame tight end, and then at offensive yeah, tackle. Make sure people stop sleeping on Tommy. He's, he's you're not bang. sleeping on Tommy. Not anymore. I need to, I need to do Wake a, the hell up. I need to tweet out a supercut of his blocks, some of his blocks, because the way he'll like go attack a linebacker is unlike anything I've seen from a tight end in college. He'll sprint into a block. Like you, you've seen that Trent Williams block from this year where he just yeah, like yeah, yeah. decletes a dude. Treble has blocks like that on his tape where he's just full speed into a guy and just launches. Like I, I need to tweet out something because it's Get a supercut going. I've never heard it phrased as a supercut. I like I it. said it'd be a highlight reel. Yeah. Supercut? What the hell is that? Supercut's a that's something. Am I just making up? Supercuts is a, a is place a you get haircuts. I know. It's a is a, a place you get I mean, haircuts. we can we can make it a thing. It's a shorter highlight reel. It's a highlight reel of highlight reel. I think it's a better supercut than- is a genre of video editing consisting of a montage of short clips with the same theme. Wow. Yeah. It's a highlight reel of a highlight reel. That's insane. Super- Why don't they call all highlight reels supercuts? It sounds cooler, honestly. It, it sounds sick. All right, uh, Walker Little. You've been talking about him a lot, even off, off the podcast. Even like you're texting girls about this guy, which is interesting. But it, it's it's a it's a method you can't take. Walker Little, the Stanford offensive, and tackle. they don't even know about him. That's how big a sleeper. And they're sleeping on him for sure. Uh, Walker Little was a former five star, like one of the most coveted recruits coming out. Goes to Stanford. I think he only plays what one season before getting hurt and then having to opt out of the 2020 season. You don't you haven't seen a lot of tape on Walker Little, but. From a pedigree standpoint, athleticism, tools, he's got everything. And I know he's working with Paul Alexander, a friend yeah. of yours, and he keeps what sending you videos of him shirtless. Or what is what's what are those videos consisting of? Paul Paul's just you know giving me a lowdown. If you don't follow Paul's Patreon, it's actually very informative. He's he knows offensive line play inside and out, and, and you'll learn a lot if you do follow that. 
but he's basically said like he's like this guy's got it like and he's showed me videos where a lot of issues like he was kind of sloppy in his past sets back as you know a sophomore which sophomores tend to be and it looks a lot better like for the videos he showed me so walker little like there were mock drafts heading into the 2020 season 2019 season the one he got hurt after the first game against northwestern that had him going as high as number two overall. To me, it's academic dishonesty to do that, have the guy play one game, and then be like, okay, now he's a third rounder. It's like, if you were that high on him at that point, and you, you saw one game, and it was a pretty good game against Northwestern. He didn't get beaten pass pro in that game. Like, that talent level's still there. So I, I think he will be one of the steals of the draft because I get why you'd be scared to draft him in the first round. You didn't see him play. Playing football matters a lot for guys draft process i've heard we we at pff are like the kind of banners for hey the on-field is all that matters but walker little's on-field is still pretty good and that was like you can expect some progression especially at offensive line so yeah i think walker little's getting slept on if he goes if he goes outside the top two rounds man like you don't find talented ot's like that that late in the draft with his tools Let's jump now to Kendrick Green, the guard for the Fighting Illini. University of Illinois earned an 87.8 PFF grade this past year. Was a monster in the run game. 88.5 run blocking grade. His grade has improved every single year of his career with the Fighting Illini. He's played in over 500 snaps in each of the past three years. Green, a guy I don't think a lot, not a lot of people are going to say they've heard of Kendrick Green. And it's early in the pre-draft process. I remember we were putting out draft content and mock drafts in January and people like, January, what are you doing? No one's ready for this. We're ready for this. And Kendrick Green, I think as you get closer to March, get closer to April, you're going to start hearing this guy's name. Green's awesome. Highlight reel blocks. You want super cut. If you want a super cut of pancakes, Kendrick Green's is going to be up there. I think Penny Sewell is probably the only one who has a better highlight reel because Green is not that big. Like the Landon Dickerson's of the world, the Deontay Browns, yeah, they're going to pancake a 290-pound DT. They got him by 50 pounds. In Deontay Brown's case, maybe like 100 sometimes. <laughs> Kendrick Green's like 310, 315, but he is explosive. This guy, he'll, he like if he gets the leverage on you and he, he'll be like caught some linebackers where he just got underneath them and it just runs. Like he'll just run with you because he is a ball of fire coming off the line of scrimmage. Still working progress and pass pro, but he can deliver a pop, man. This guy, I think he's a, a day two type interior offensive lineman. He's really got the goods physically, and, and he's graded out a lot better every single year. You've seen a massive progression from him in his three years at Illinois. Is he hashtag fun to watch? Oh, yes. He's going to make, he'll make the top 10. It's a, it's a fun to watch class. He might not make top <laughs> it 10. It always is. <laughs> <laughs> I still see tweets about that. Uh, Like there are people that are tweeting out like a single play of a player and then saying he's fun to watch. And I just, I kind of want to cry every time I see it. It's Oh man, I saw one. God, this was a couple weeks ago where someone said he was fun to watch when it was like a guy who I would objectively say has not been fun to watch comparatively to the rest. (laughs) That's where we need to bite back. Because yeah. we always, because the, the criticism was fun to watch if you're new to two for one drafts. The criticism is that you'll have random analysts or fans of the draft tweeting out clips of players and saying, man, the only take they have is he, he's really fun to watch. And it's like, okay, that's it's not like, a take. Football is fun to watch. Exactly. If you're but watching football, you're probably having fun. We're, I think another good list would be the guys who are least fun to watch. Yeah. I think that could be a fun list. No, fun well, uh, not whatever. 
<laughs> you really, you really pickled yourself there. there. Uh, but uh, defensive tackle here on your sleepers list is next one is Milton Williams. Talk to me about Milton. Yeah, this guy's interesting because I was going through early season tape and I'm like, and he has a really good grade, like a 90.0 pass rusher grade this past season. I was, I know it was like 88 point something. I should have had it written down. My bad. 89.7 pass rushing grade, a 90.8 overall grade, and an 88.4 run defense grade. Over 30 pressures in each of the past few years. Listed at 6'4", 278. Kind of thin. Yes. So that's the thing. I'm watching the early season tape. I'm like, why the hell is this guy graded out that well? He's just, it didn't look good. And then somewhere around midseason, someone told him, hey, just like stop like hesitating and just like go attack. Just go do what you got to do. And he was a monster down the stretch, like unblockable when he just fires off and wanted to go after. And he has a nice little, he puts Euro steps on guards. Anytime you see a D tackle do a Euro step, mm. I'm in. That's like a high, not a lot of 300, it's not 300 pounds, 280 pounds, but not a lot of guys like that could are physically coordinated enough to do a Euro step on a guard. And he did. And that's enough to, that's enough for me to call him a sleeper. Like, and he's and he's athletic. I just I wonder where he gets his weight to, and we'll want to see his testing, obviously, because 280 isn't right in that tweener size, and I don't think he's going to be an edge rusher, even though he did play some there at Louisiana Tech. But if he can get up to like 290 and still run maybe like a sub 540, whew, pants caked. <laughs> I don't like it used that way at all. Yeah, that was not actually how you should use it. <laughs> pants. Kate, uh, I remember writing his background. I remember he was a big, a big basketball player. He was a very good basketball player. He was a two-sport athlete coming out of Texas, Texas's Crowley High School. Was only listed as a two-star recruit, though. Had offers from La Tech, Stephen F. Austin, New Mexico, and then uh, obviously went to La Tech. But big basketball player. I remember you can't read his, you can't read into him as a high school player without talking about how good he was as a basketball player. So uh, that Euro step translating on the field, uh, edge defender. Here on the sleepers list is Oklahoma's Ronnie Perkins. I've had a lot of people text me about Ronnie Perkins, send me DMs like, hey, man, he graded really well. Maybe he's not what, a sleeper. What's up with Ronnie? Per- what's up? No, I wasn't trying to oh. sleeper police you. But I'm saying he is a name that is being brought up kind of like, why aren't people talking about him? Why aren't people talking about Ronnie Perkins of Oklahoma? Graded really well. What's up with Ronnie? We're talking about him. Yeah, let's talk about him. Literally right now. He's guy's fast. I saw him track down. I think it was a Texas Tech game. Track down a receiver who had a open run. He's on the opposite side and the edge on a wide screen to the far side. Track down a wide receiver who's just on a dead sprint down the field. He's coming at an angle. Tracks him down from behind. He might run, like I, I would bet probably a, a 4-6 at the lowest is like what this guy's going to run at, listed at 247 pounds. And actually came into Oklahoma heavier than that. Started as a true freshman in the 250s, has lost weight, gotten faster over the course of his career. His dip move to the edge, like he could play low, at that size, and I think when you're that explosive and you're that and you have that level of bend, it's just a winning combination. Also plays plays the run really well at over 90 run defense grade this past year. I don't think he's limited in that regard. You're not gonna you're not DPR, you're not a designated pass rush. You're not gonna take him off the field on first and second down. He can play that in like a three-four outside linebacker or that you know wide nine sort of role. So I'm a fan. There's a reason why obviously he declared earlier for the draft a three-year starter, like I said, Oklahoma. Not getting talked a lot. To me, he's like I could be a second rounder. Second rounder. Yeah. Wow. Needs to be talked about a lot more then. Haven't even seen him in first or second round mocks. Last guy here we'll bring up on the sleepers list is Tay Gowan, who he has an interesting background in and of itself. I I need to look up what I wrote about him, but I remember coming away from it saying older prospect, I believe, who has a lot of really nice tools, long, tall, athletic, Mm -hmm. but um, 
Had to, I think he had the Juco route. Let me look up his background real quick. You talk to me I'll about I'll talk Tate about Allen. Tate Allen. So, legit speed. Guy's going to run. If he doesn't run a 4-3, I'll be surprised. That's how fast his tape is. He was, he was catching up with Simi Fajoko, who if you've not watched Simi Fajoko's tape, that guy might be the most explosive. He's like a, he's like a white DK Metcalf. Or is he even white? I guess he would be probably Pacific Islander. I'm not or, sure. I don't know. But he's like, that. that's the level of explosiveness. Simba but he's not as good as DK Metcalf. He's not even close to as good as DK Metcalf. But just like that guy pops off the tape. And he runs like a 4-3 like, at 220. Check. He's like 6'4", yeah. 220. He ran a 4-3 according to Bruce Feldman of the Athletic. Yeah. Fajoko, a freak of nature in his own right. Not a good wide receiver, but a freak of nature. Gowan's tracking him down the football field at 6'2", 185. And already 6'2", 185 is like long size for the cornerback position, that's kind of like the body type everyone's looking for is that 6'2 guy with that speed. And then it's like, okay, that's one thing if you're just that guy. If, if you're just long and fast, like that's Robert Rochelle is like your baseline. He's probably going to be drafted in like the fourth, fifth, but like no technique whatsoever for Robert Rochelle. Take Allen, on the other hand, pretty much locked down his side of the field. I think he only allowed three catches all year long that went four over 20 yards, only 20 of 50 targets this, back in 2019 for 274 yards. In a pass happy conference there in the AAC, fan, big fan of his game. I, I have not heard a lot about him as an early rounder, but man, I he might be he went up as like top five cornerback in the class for us in terms of just like that's that's the that's the caliber of athlete and production we're working with. In, in PFF's draft guide, which you can get with an edge or elite subscription if you um and you can get it for 25% off with Super Bowl 25, that promo code. Um, you have him listed as a second-round projection. Comparison, Legereus Sneed, which uh, listed at 6'2", 185. The background is he was a two-star recruit coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. He went to he committed to Miami of Ohio, even though he's from Georgia. Committed to Miami of Ohio, played Oof, in three why games. Why would you come here from Georgia? It sucks. But he came here, he went to Miami of Ohio for three games and then transferred to JUCO, went to back to Georgia, played at Butler Community College, and then as a JUCO transfer, was a three-star recruit in 2019. Only played one game of power or FBS football, or not one game, one season of FBS football in 2019, an 81.0 PFF grade. He only played in three games at Miami, but you didn't see a ton from him there. I think um six snaps. In Miami, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where teams value him because he hasn't played a ton of football. And um, yeah, that, I think that's also like the big thing. I don't know. I can always say like I don't know why this guy's opted out. He may have actually legitimately been concerned about COVID. I don't know, but he could have come back this year and made himself a lot of money if he did. Yeah, Tay Gowan, interesting player. I think we'll hear about him more as we get closer to the draft and and more of the big names. Watch more guys. That's always the thing. Yeah, because like we talked to Daniel Jeremiah, uh, Todd McShay. Even Brugler, like it, it takes time for a lot of these guys to to get through the class. Well, we're we oh, you have an oh, early start. You have an early start on those things because your like entire life is dedicated to this, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, there's this too. You say like oh, they're true. just lazier than me. True. No, I'm not saying everyone's that's lazier than you. But either way, uh, what a fun podcast! The favorites, the sleepers, the quarterback conversation. Really excited as we get closer on Thursday. We'll and have you look them. good, and I look good. Dude, you watch on YouTube right now? You're looking oh, at a stud. Although I did get text saying, is Gail really leaning into the stash? He's leaning into the stash, I'm fellas. leaning into the stash, fellas. What's wrong with the stash? Someone's got to do it. <laughs> stash is back. Isn't the stash back or no? Who brought it back? Uh, me. Okay. <laughs> um, 
But the Thursday episodes, tomorrow's episode, we're going to record uh, the mailbag episode. We have a ton of reviews, a ton of five-star reviews with questions. If you want your question answered in any future mailbag episode, you need to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with your question. That's the number one way to get it in because we're getting too many questions on Instagram, DM. Some people are Snapchatting me questions, and you don't want to see those. Like Some of those are crazy. So Some people are matching with you on Tinder just to get that question in. I, and honestly, I can't get a date. It's on Every single one's like, uh, what's Mike Renner's number? And it's like, <laughs> damn, Like if that's all my match, what am I going to do here? Like, how am I going to get to the next level in the dating scene? Uh, to tease the Monday episode, and I'll tease this on the Thursday episode as well. I got a good story for you. Here's the tease. I'll bring up just a couple keywords. My dad, my grandma, so his mom, a shotgun, Thanksgiving. It's a good time. It's a very good time. It's a wild, a wild story. My dad tells it better than I do, but I'll bring it up on the Monday episode. Not the mailbag episode, the Monday episode. So continue to tune in. Um, but this has been great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Quinn and the producer. We've got to thank Quinn at the end of the pods. Thank Quinn. Thanks, Quinn. Quinn's a monster back there. Very welcome. Um, but until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Quinn, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 drafts.